Amen. Good morning. How are you today? Awesome. I'm grateful that you're here today because today's a special day. It's my mom's birthday. Now, I don't know if you guys know my mom. Mom, will you stand up? I got some flowers for you. Janet, Janet, will you give those to my mom? You know, my mom is a special person. If you've ever been to this church, I'm sure she's touched something that you are, are dealing with today. She's been everywhere, and uh, today's her, she keeps saying 39. I don't know what that means, but uh, it's been going on for years. So we keep celebrating. Happy 39th, Mom. I love you, and uh, you're a blessing to our family. And the church family. In 1966, a pastor was preaching a message, and the place was full. And I don't know if you guys were in the times of 1966, but when you would go to church, you would have your Sunday best. Not that you guys look great today, I promise, you look good. But back in those days, you would dress in a coat and a tie, and everybody would show up. Well, this guy named John Higgins, he was preaching a message one Sunday, and he was up here preaching... And all of a sudden, this man walked in late, and you know who you people are. Those late folks walked in, and this guy walks in late, and the whole church watches this man. The church was packed. This man was preaching a message that people wanted to hear, so the church was full. And as he walked in, people in the audience were watching him. The pastor was watching him because this man looked a little different. He had these jeans on that were frayed and had holes in them. He had a shirt that had multi-colors, and it wasn't quite a shirt. It was like a tank top with what we call tie-dye. And he had this hair that looked like a, a, a stand to put flowers in. And he had facial hair that looked like our Lord and Savior. And he walked into church, and everybody is in their Sunday best. Everybody's in their Sunday best, and they're watching this man who looks like he doesn't belong here. And so people are fixated and focused on who he is and what's going on. And he's looking and nobody's moving and nobody really wants him to sit next to him either. He can't find a seat. He doesn't know what to do. So he just does what any hippie would do. He walks right down up to the front like right here and sits down. And in my house we call it crisscross applesauce. <laughs> just like the hippies would do. They find a place and they would sit down and and what happened was this. People were shocked. What is going on? What's going to happen? Who's going to deal with this? And the elder, the, the, the chairman of the elder board, got up out of his seat, and he had this nice suit on. And he walked up to this, and he walks up, and now everybody, you could see the crowd going, okay, good. Now we got some order here because this guy's going to march up, and he's in his suit and tie. And he walks right up to this man, and he bends down, and he sits right next to him, crisscross applesauce. There's a picture of what this looks like in the Jesus movement days. Hippies were walking into churches, and people were not excited about that. They didn't like it at all. They were struggling with it because, hey, I'm in my Sunday best. Why are you looking like that? Today, we're going to talk about being flexible. And trust me, I am the least flexible, so it's not this. My buddy Don, he's more flexible than anybody. He's like a rubber band here. And if you've got a rubber band today, I want you to pull them out, put them on your arm, 
This is, our, this is our sermon illustration today at our church. We like to use props and images to get you to the point. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but I sent my wife to Staple, and I said, Honey, can you buy me like 600 rubber bands? Right? And she's like, Okay. And then I get a call from my wife, and she's like, I'm at Staples, and I got a, a, a bag of rubber bands. And I'm like, but she goes, they said there's one pound of rubber bands in it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so what does that mean? And, and the guy's like, she puts him on the phone. I have no idea what one pound is, right? So when you get rubber bands, you buy them in pounds, right? My former lifestyle, I used to do some of that stuff, but not like that. So I had to go on to Google and go, how many rubber bands are in one pound? It was a nightmare. Anyway, there's 204, uh, 205 and a quarter pound of, of things. So if you ever go to Staples, one pound is about 800. So there you go. Some good free information today. Today we're talking about being flexible, and I want this to be the image today. I want you to put it on. You can play with it. If you have that fixation to kind of fiddle with things all day, I'll be okay with this. Like you. I see you. But I want you to walk away with this, and hopefully by the end you'll understand the flexibility that we're talking about. We are talking about the aftermath series, and, and, and the aftermath is this. What do we do after the resurrection? What did the disciples do after the crucifixion and after the resurrection? What is the aftermath? What are we called to do, and what did they do to really start what we call Christian church today? What happened? What's the aftermath? Well, really what we need to do is we need to go to Acts chapter 1, and I just kind of want to open with that. Today is our memory verse. On Sundays, we do a memory verse, and I want to just kind of start with Acts chapter 1, verse 3. This is what they did. Here's what it says. It says, during the 40 days after his crucifixion, after his death on the cross, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So two things happened after the resurrection in the aftermath of that was that we are to prove that he is alive. We are to kind of say that he is alive and we are to talk about the kingdom of God. That's really what the disciples were exper experiencing. Excuse me. That's what we're supposed to do. I don't know about you, but I just came back from Georgia and I was with a bunch of uh, uh, Christians and a bunch of pastors. And, and, and I'm just fired up on what God is doing. And the truth is we are to put out into the universe, into the world, that Jesus is alive. He's alive in me. He's alive in a bunch of crazy folks in, in, in Georgia. And there's some crazy ones out there. They look at us Californians weird. Or we look at them weird. I don't know how that works out, but they're weird. And we're weird. But the point is, Jesus was alive. And there's 8,000 people, and we were worshiping. And that's what it looks like. We are to prove that the kingdom of God is near and that Jesus is actually alive. But it doesn't stop there. If you continue to read a little bit later down the road, here's what Jesus says. Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you a gift that he promised and I told you before. That's in John chapter 14 and 15 when he talks about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is going to work. And then he says this. He says, John baptizes with water, but in a few days that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we struggle with that in a theological sense for some churches that don't understand that or believe in that. But the point is this. If you don't know Jesus or you have a relationship with Jesus, just ask the Holy Spirit to come and be a part of your life and watch him do things radically. Even if you've been a believer for years, ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you because he wants to anoint you and move deeply in your life. So it continues to say, and so now Jesus is alive and he's showing himself. And, and all the people want to know is, when are you going to make the United States right again with you, God? 
When are you going to make the United States right with Jesus? When is the United States going to go back to Jesus? They're saying Jerusalem, but we say today Jesus. And Jesus says this. He says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Here's the thing. I don't worry about that stuff. I know a lot of people do. But I've only been alive for, well, if my mom's 39, let me do the math. <laughs> not that long. But in those years that I've been on earth, there's been a lot of crazy stuff. But in, like, think of like the last 50 or 60 years. There's a death of a president. There was a scandal in the White House. There was race wars, right? There was segregation. There was struggles with the economy. There were people losing houses and then people buying houses. And then there was another housing crisis. There's been all kinds of turmoil. And all the signs pointed that Jesus is near. 50 years ago and even more today. But it says, I don't know the time and date. And I'm not really to work on it. I'm to focus on he is alive. And that the kingdom is near. And then it says this. But then you will receive a power. In a couple days if you're patient and you're willing. And you want to be part of the 120 that are up there. You will receive this power. And this power is still available. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We sing these songs. Is here today. To raise you out of the muck and out of the mire. And into a right relationship. Into a powerful place. So that you can live and do amazing and wonderful things. You will receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you will then be my witness. Telling the, the people everywhere. Jerusalem. Throughout Judea. Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. So here's what we're supposed to do. Jesus is alive. We are to tell them the kingdom of God is near. We're, ex we're to experience the Holy Spirit. We're to receive that power. And then we are to be a witness. God is doing great things in my life. And he's doing wonderful things in your life. And the aftermath of this is to challenge you. What are you doing after Easter? What are you doing after Christmas? What are we doing on these big events? We get all geared up to invite people in. But what do we do in the aftermath? Well, the first week we talked about this lifestyle. And we talked about Romans 12 and how we're to be these living sacrifices. And don't pretend to love, but really love and do and be this living sacrifice. And make our lifestyle whole and rich. And set apart from the other lifestyles in this world. Not just be a lifestyle, but an other, all the other lifestyles in this world. And then week two, Jeremy came up here and uh, talked about the cost of, of discipleship and the cost of fellowship. And discipleship and fellowship and fellowship is we came into one word called fellowship. And what does it cost to follow Jesus? People would love to say, well, I put 50 bucks or 500 bucks or $50,000 in the offering. That should be a good cost. Well, that's not what we're talking about. Jeremy came to a point in the text that says it's everything. If you really want to follow Jesus, you need to walk away from your old and, and, and give everything up. If you only have two mites, then put that in. And I'm not talking into the offering. I'm talking to put it into Christ and follow him at all costs. And to me, that's pretty hefty. You know, my checkbook can't handle that much. It starts shaking after about a $500 check. Whoa. I don't know if you guys know this. I heard this in, in this conference that 500 pastor dollars is about 5,000 real world dollars. Few people understand that they've been in ministry before. When you're in ministry, your $500 is worth about five grand in the real world, you know. And uh, that's uh, sorry, that was a joke, but uh, I was didn't go over very well. Maybe second service will really like that one. 
So today we're going to talk about a few things, and I want to put them up there. We're going to talk about follow. Last week we've talked about lifestyle fellowship. Last week I talked about uh, empowered, and here's the slide. If you didn't get them all last week, go listen to them. I put a bunch up there, and these were the things God sent seventy-two out, and He said, "Here's the things that you need to do to be empowered with Christ." If you don't, if you want to go download our app or go to our website and listen to the sermon, He empowered us to go and do all these things, and it was it's a really great moment for our church because we came with a fresh awakening that God wants to do something new inside of us. Today we're we're going to talk about being flexible. And I'm telling you, it's not about being flexible in the mindset of that, but it's to be stretched. Now, can you break a rubber band? Yeah, most of you can. I've seen some of you and probably not, but most of you can. You can stretch it. But here's the thing. This really makes sense to us because, yes, as a human being, I can be broken, but I'm not to be broken. I have this mindset. I love, I love sports. I love a lot of sports. I love soccer. I love baseball. I love football. I love tennis. I love all these things. I'm, I'm just a sports guy. I love all sports. And you know what I found out? Those that play defense really win. Those that understand how to stand up and play defense really win. And uh, my teams rarely win. That's why we don't have championships. But uh, those that play defense and win, and some of the best teams in football right now have this concept of they will bend but not break. They will give up a lot of yards and maybe a few points, but they won't break at the most critical times. We need to be that same way. That's what God really wants to do. We know that Corinthians chapter 4 says we are just these fragile rubber bands. That's a paraphrase there. Clay jars. But we are, we are pressed, but we are not crushed. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, the Bible says, but we are not destroyed because we have flexibility in who Jesus Christ is. The Apostle Paul wants to teach us that today as we look through 1 Corinthians. I want to ask you a question. I want you just to ponder it and maybe at lunch today or maybe go and invite a couple people and talk about this. What is the Apostle Paul's main goal? I was there this weekend, and at this conference, Louis Giglio was there. It was awesome. It was super cool to see uh, Louis preach. Andy Stanley was there. But the best speaker was this lady, and her name was Jen Hartland or something like that. She killed it. She was so awesome. I mean, there were some great pastors there, but she did a great job. But what would the Apostle Paul say if he was the great speaker? First of all, we'd probably boo him because the Bible says he wasn't a great speaker. He was more of a writer and more of an apostle. But what would he say his main goal is? What, is? what is Paul's main goal? I really resonate with Paul. I teach a lot out of, the, out of Paul's epistles because I resonate with a lot of things that he writes. But what would he say is his main goal? And I'm not looking for this answer out loud. I want you to really think about it. We're going to actually come upon it today. And hopefully it will jump out off the page and, and make it into your heart. I would say... Some of the things that he wants to do is change the theology. We talked about it in the Crucified series that he came into the world and there was a bunch of people believing in a God, a Yahweh, and he was trying to change their theology. Not that it, their theology was necessarily long, especially the Jewish people, but he was trying to change it into what, what we would call Christology. The study and, 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 and fellowship of who Jesus Christ is. The plan and purpose and the focus. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul would want us to do. So today we're going to read um, from Corinthians chapter 9. So if you're able to stand at our church, what we do is we believe the word of God is powerful. We believe the word of God speaks boldly into our lives. We have set up our church in teams. 
And after we, after we uh, um, read a little bit from the Bible, we're going to pray. This is Team Salvation. They've been praying for a year and a half that people all across Ventura County in this country would be saved. This is Team Revelation. They are praying that people will hear who God is and have a, a, something special in their heart. And they've been praying for God to speak to everyone that, that believes and non-believes. And this is Team Transformation. And they believe. You guys will get there one day, I promise you. This is where I sit, and I was talking to my brother here, and he's just going through some amazing transformation, and it's cool. So let's read. I'm just going to do one verse, and then we're going to pray that God does something powerful. The Apostle Paul is writing in Ephesus, and after I read, we'll put up some pictures. Ephesus, he's in Ephesus, and he's writing to Corinth, and this is a cool place because here the Apostle Paul in chapter 9 is giving up his rights, and now he's using his freedom in Jesus Christ. And he says this. Even though I'm a free man with no master. I have become a slave to all people. To bring many to Christ. Even though I am a free man. And I have no manly master. No woman master upon this earth. Unless you're married. Then. Uh, that was pretty bad. Sorry. I really, I really love marriage. My, I just had an anniversary. So don't think it's bad. But. I have become a slave to all people so that I bring people to Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul wants. He wants to bring people to Christ at all cost. At all cost. That's what he wants to do. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. Father in heaven, we praise you and we ask for you to boldly work in us. For every man, woman, and child in this room and in the other rooms, Father, we pray that you will speak boldly to us, that you will give us a revelation that will help us understand you and who you are. In the aftermath of Easter, in the aftermath of your resurrection, what are we to do 2,000 years later? Speak to us. Lord, we pray that people have salvation today all across this great country and world. We pray for salvation. And Lord, will you start this metamorphosis process that we spoke about on Easter, changing us from this earthly thing crawling on the ground into something that can fly above all of our stuff and still glorify you. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So today we're talking about being flexible, and I want to talk about how rigid the church has gotten. The church is not flexible at all. The church is like me working out on a Tuesday night at 5 o'clock with my friend. She looks at me the other day and she's like, whoa, is that a joke? I am the most unflexible person in her, probably all of her classes, and she teaches at Ventura College. So here's the thing. The church has got really unflexible. We're, we're rigid. Think about the hippies in the Jesus movement coming in, and some of them didn't have the most robust smell, right? They hadn't seen the water in a while. And then they would cover it with oil. Patchouli oil. Anybody have patchouli oil? Uh, yeah. Some of you are still using that today. That's why I sit in the transformation section. <laughs> Just kidding. Wow. I got to get focused. All right. So here's the church today. A man's out here and he's living his life. And this is outside. He's living the life outside of the gospel, right? He's living his life apart. And he's partying and he's parousing. He's looking for things to do. Drinking and happy hour and searching for that perfect woman. But she's never there because he's just not content, right? So he's out here and then someone invites him to an Easter service. 
And so this man comes into service. He's looking for a life. He's looking for a wife. He's looking for all things. And he goes to church and God speaks. And lo and behold, he hears God. And he feels God. And he accepts, he comes up to an altar call on Easter Sunday, and he accepts Jesus. And now the pastors and the prayer cards, they say, here's what you need to do. You need to go to the 101 class. You need to go to the New Believers class. Here's a New Believers Bible. And, and, and then got to get baptized. Like, as soon as possible, there's a gutter out there. Let's baptize you in the gutter. And they're like, okay, I'll do that. Let's do it. And the guy's all fired up. And we're as Christians going, yeah, watch this guy work. God's going to do amazing things because we are excited. So all of a sudden he gets into this 101 class and he's like, you got to walk away from all your friends and all that chaos and all the antichrist stuff and start following Jesus. He's like, yeah. And in a couple months he's in Bible study and in three years you see him ushering and he looks clean and looks healthy. He's not drinking that much. He's having a beer with the, uh, uh, at dinner every so often and he's been a changed man. And then from the pulpit, a pastor goes, I need you to go out to your unbelieved friends and bring them into church. And he's like, what? You told me to get rid of them. <laughs> if, if you would have told me to bring them here when I just got saved, I could have easily brought all of them from the bar. They would have stunk and they would have been rude and they probably would have been cussing and moaning and whining. But now I'm three years away from them and they don't want to be around me because they think I'm a hypocrite. Why? Because we're not flexible. We have these rigid rules. We are the Pharisees of today. We are the Pharisees of today. And we need to become more flexible. You want to bring people to Christ. It's not pretty sometimes. It is not. The Jesus movement was bringing in people with their Sunday best. And they're sitting next to the patchouli oil smelling men and women of the day. And it wasn't pleasant. But it changed this culture and it changes a society. Do you guys want to change the society? We need to be flexible and watch the glory of God come in. The Apostle Paul would say to you if he was here today, follow me. And this is kind of like, this is almost anti-Christ. Follow me. Then he kind of brings it back as I follow Christ. Do as I do. If you don't know what to do, and I'm not the greatest example in here. If you've ever seen me drive, trust me, you don't want to follow me. There's a good chance you might get a ticket. But follow me if you don't know who to follow until you start to follow yourself. Follow someone around you, a man, woman, or child that you, that you think makes sense and follow them. That's what the Apostle Paul would say. And walk right into the glory of God and what he is doing. Follow me as I follow Christ. We are rigid today. Our politics, our theology, our race, and our lifestyle, and our status is a dividing factor in all churches. It's a dividing factor, and, 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 and it's, it's destroying the church. Really? We can't have a political conversation, even if you're on the opposite side? Who have we become? We really can't sit with someone who's poor and that's someone that's got a lot of money? Who have we become? What would Jesus say? The Apostle Paul movie that we saw a couple weeks ago during Easter, there was people living in a commune, and they were living, and some people were funding the whole thing. And today, it's like, well, I don't want to be around those type of people. What would Paul say? What would Jesus say? That's why Jesus is on the outside, and all across the world, churches are dying. You know, they were talking about in this, in this, this conference that, that church really ministers to your kids about 40 hours a year. What do you think it is in here? It's not that much more. And that's 40 hours if you make it to church 40 times a year. 
40 hours. There's 3,000 other hours that you're dealing with your own self. We don't have much time. We need to get flexible and get, and get away from this rigid theology that's killing us. We need to bring flexibility into our life. So I want to just go through this verse. I want to just talk a little bit about this verse and make it whole, make sense. The three things that we're going to talk about today is, well, there's actually four. The, the first thing is, is that we are going to talk about being flexible for Jesus is not changing your morals. You're not to change. You're not to be go into prostitution to bring a prostitution to Christ. You're not to become an addict or an alcoholic to bring them to Christ. You're not to go into hell and stay there and live and be undercover so that you can bring them to Christ. That's not what Paul's saying. What he's saying is you can go into a bar and partake, choose not to drink. Drink an iced tea. It works. Or if you need a cocktail, put a club soda and a lime in it. It looks cool. I do it all the time. But you don't have to go into the mess and be a part of the mess to bring people to Christ. We don't need to lose our morals, but here's the three things. We're going to adjust our habits, we need to modify our behavior, and we need to set aside our, precedent, our preferences to really see what God wants us to do. Here we talk about the Apostle Paul. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Ephesus in, 19, in 2019, and we've got about 12 people already going to this, this Pauline tour. But here's Ephesus. I think we have a picture. It's probably at the beginning. This is Ephesus. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. And we're going to go. This is in Turkey. And, uh, and, and this is an exciting place. It's a place that the Apostle Paul was. Back in the day, it set 25,000 people. It was like a, an amazing structure. It's in Turkey. And so 2019, if you want to go, 2018 Israel, 2019, we're going to go into this place and see this. The Apostle Paul is writing from Ephesus, a church that he's planting. And he's writing to the Corinthians because they're struggling. They've got a lot of issues because the Corinthians were like Las Vegas. They lived and li lived their life like they're Las Vegas. We, we, uh, when we were first in ministry, one of the people at church says, oh, we have a timeshare in Las Vegas. And we didn't have much money. Uh, still don't have a ton of money. But when we were first, they're like, we have a timeshare. You want to go to Las Vegas for a week? And we're like, sure. And we take our kids there. And the first day we walk down the street and we're like, I guess we're going to spend most of our time outside of Vegas. Because my, my youngest daughter's like, why is that girl doing this in the window up there? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, dude. <laughs> Thanks, by the way, for giving us that trip. Some of you are here, I think, that gave us that trip. That was really uh, uh, edifying for my family. Um, <laughs> we've never been back, by the way. So The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And here's what Cor Corinth looks like today. There's another picture of Corinth. And here's the church that he's writing. And this is, it's a beautiful scenery. But the people are struggling because they worship sexual beings there. It was a sexual generation. You think we got issues? You should look at some of the times that were happening back then. You think we got struggles in lifestyle today? This was way worse. But we are so egocentric that we don't realize it. And we kind of just like, oh, it's so bad. Jesus come back. And I'm praying the same thing. But it was pretty bad back there. So here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He's talking about adjusting your habits. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the good news, uh, bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I lived under the law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so that I can bring, those, uh, bring to Christ those who were under the law. Here, the Apostle Paul is saying, when I'm with the Jews, I'm going to live like the Jews. And he was a Jewish man, but he had walked away from his Jewish faith because the Jewish faith was telling him to kill Christians. 
But he said, now as I'm going back into areas that were heavily Jew, he's like, I'm going to live and I'm going to be like the Jew even though I'm not subject to the law. I don't know if you guys know this, but probably one of the greatest pieces of scripture that is never talked about in church because it's kind of long and it's kind of boring is Acts chapter 15. That changes the church completely. It's right in the middle of the church history. And if you read Acts chapter 15, one of the most critical places in the church, because if they don't discuss what they're discussing, it would be painful for a lot of people in this room today. After Easter. The question is to snip or not to snip. A couple people know that. It's called circumcision. The uh, Barnabas and Paul were struggling, and they were evangelizing in the upper regions, and they they were having a revival, and they went right before, and they had this huge revival where people were coming out of the streets, and people were just experiencing Jesus like in the Jesus movement days. The apostle Paul was on fire, and his church was on fire, and what happened was a couple Pharisees, a couple of those rigid Christians came in and says, hey, You can't do that. If you're not going to follow the law of Moses, you're not really a Christian. You need to snip. And the Gentiles are like, I don't want to snip. I just want Jesus. What would the church marketing play? Come to experience Jesus and we'll have a snipping right afterwards. The women would be here in droves bringing their husband. Come on, we're going to get you right. Wouldn't be a good marketing tool, by the way, at all. I mean, I went to marketing school. We never talked about this as a marketing degree plus philosophy. 15 says this. So they come in, they write this letter, and Paul and Barnabas are told to come and be a part of the council. And they're telling them, and, and everybody in Jerusalem's like, I get it, man. It's wild. We know what you're doing. It's, they're receiving it, and they're not Jewish. We understand that. But there's something wrong here. And then Peter gets up and he says, I went into this, I was, I was called to go into this Gentile house. And, and the story kind of goes, I'm standing outside going, I've never been in this house before. I've never been into a house that's non-Jewish. I've been told my whole life never to do this. And now Peter comes in and he says, I walk in and he's like, thanks for having me here. But yesterday I would have thought you were all heathens and I would never step into your filthy house. Because you're going to make me unclean. You're a bunch of dirty folks. But thanks for having me. And then the Holy Spirit comes down. And he's blown away. And he tells that story at the council. And then the head pastor. I don't know if you guys know this. But most of you do. James, the head pastor, Jesus' brother, was in charge of the church. And he gets up and formulates this whole thing. And says, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to snip. Praise Jesus. But we're going to make some adjustments to our habits. And he says we're going to make some food restrictions. Not because it's really a good idea, but he's trying to adjust habits, saying the Jewish people need something and so do the Gentiles. And so he comes and he makes this adjustment in the habits so that everybody is pleased. Now here's the interesting thing, and I need to move to the next point. But here's the interesting thing. They make this decision. Paul and Barnabas are, are, are sent out, and they're sent out to the letter to all the Christians. Read this letter. And everybody was celebrating when they heard this. Of course, we're celebrating no surgery and no snipping. That's, I mean, praise Jesus. We're going to worship right now. Get the band out. (laughs) But here's the thing. In Acts chapter 16, Paul gets Timothy circumcised instantly. So they're told not to do it. And then the first thing he does is, hey, Jeremy, come here, buddy. 
We're going to do a little evangelizing out here in uh, Ventura County, and uh, I need you to snip it up real quick. <laughs> Jeremy's the other pastor here, if you're, if you're new. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's going to be fine, bro. And you know what? I hate to say this. I actually don't. I, I, I would tell you, you know what Jeremy would do? He would do it. That's the kind of guy he is. That's the blessing. He would do it. And so would Timothy. So the very next chapter, I've just said, you don't need to do it, and then they do it because he's going into Jewish territory. His mom was a Jewish woman. He raised him in a Jewish way. His dad was a Greek, and he was doing it to honor his mom, and he did it to honor the people around him, but he didn't need to. He did it because it was an honor, and it would bring more people to faith in the region that he was at. In Galatians chapter 2 or or 3, Titus didn't want to get snipped, and Paul said, you don't need to get snipped. Two people. Two different circumstances. Change the habits, but we want to do it to bring people to faith. Wouldn't work today, but we're going to try and do it anyways. The second thing we need to do is modify our behaviors. I, the first thing is I'm changing my habits. And now let's modify our behaviors. If we're really going to be flexible and you really, if you guys really want to change Ventura County, you're going to have to be flexible. You're going to have to change your habits and you're going to have to modify your behavior. If you really want that, or if you're just singing songs, say, oh, Lord, we want you to come, but just make them really nice people with lots of money, and you know, hopefully they'll give me a better job than the one I have, because that's who I really want. If you really want to change, we've got to make some modifications. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. When I'm with the Gentiles who don't follow the Jewish law, I live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the, the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. Here's the thing. The, 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 the Jewish Pharisees are like, Moses spoke to God. These laws are real. And Jesus is like, yeah, I came to fulfill the law. Moses came and said, these laws are from God. We can't just walk away from the Old Testament. And back then they didn't call it from the Old Testament. They just called it, we can't walk away from the Holy Scriptures. We don't even call the Bible. In, 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 the Bible's not called the Bible in the, in the Bible. It's called Holy Scripture. He says you can't walk away from Holy Scripture. That's why Jeremy teaches in the Old Testament all the time. Because he says don't walk away from it. It builds us. We got to modify our behavior. We can't just ignore things, but we got to modify. And where do we see this in the Bible? We see it with Jesus. On Wednesday nights here, we meet in this place, and we, we gather in the name of Jesus Christ, and we have multiple teachers. They've kicked me off the stage. They don't let me teach anymore. I get it. But what we do is we get a bunch of round tables here, and we're going through the book of John. And several weeks ago, uh, we went through this passage, and I think there was three people speaking about this woman at the well. But here you see Jesus modify his behavior. He comes in, and this woman at the well is a great story because Jesus is alone at the well, Joseph's well, this old school well from thousands of years ago. And he comes up, and he's sitting at this well. He's been walking all day, and people forget Jesus is human. We know he's God, but do you realize that he walked for miles and he was tired? You know, I mean, I'll be honest. If I was him, I'd be like, Lord, I'm walking. Holy Spirit, give me a rock star right now and just fill me up because I'm tired. I'd, use, I'd probably abuse the power. I just probably would because that's who I am. But he gets to this place and he's parched. It's about noontime, it says, and he comes up and he comes up to this woman. His apostles have now went to go get food, but Jesus is sitting at the well and he comes to someone who's the opposite race that he is. And he breaks this cross-cultural gap. 
He modifies his behavior, not because he wants to look cool, but he wants her soul for the kingdom of God. He wants her connected and, and built in the name of Jesus Christ. He wants to give her everything that the world has to offer, even if it's against the religious law. Modifying his behavior. So here's what it says. When the Samaritan came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And the disciples were gone to buy food. The Samaritan said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me? It's like, and I hate to bring this topic up, but when we were segregated as a society, there was two different drinking fountains. We need to make that one all the time. We need to put aside politics. We need to put aside status and, 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 and ethnicity and all of that and be one. Just like Jesus does. He's modifying behavior. And it's hard. I get it. But here's what we need to do is we not have. And Jesus does it. And when his apostles come back, they're like, what the hell are you doing? I don't know if you can say hell in church. I think you can, just not in that context. What are you doing? You can't talk to a Samaritan, first of all. Second of all, you can't talk to a woman because she doesn't have any status. And third, if you touch her and touch anything that her lips have touched or touched, you are going to be unclean, and then you're going to make us all unclean. And then it's going to take weeks of, of, of rituals to get back to right with God. And hopefully she's not on her period. I don't know if you can say that in church at all either, but... I live with three girls. We talk about it a lot. More than I ever thought I would, promise you that. We need to modify our behavior. Jesus models us, and he shows us how to live, setting aside things so that God can be right with this woman and he changes her and he tells her about who he is and she gets radically saved and not only that is because of that cross-cultural modification so does the whole town when we get out of our mindset and get into the modification of changing our behavior god does wonderful things and he wants to do that in our community let me get to this last point here the last one is we need to set aside our preferences. You know, all of us, who's got an opinion today? Here's what you need to do. There's a website, an email, Jeremy at Journey of the Church. He loves your opinions. He'll sift through all of those that are good. He'll love, he loves them. Your opinions and preferences, this guy in Mexico would say, are meaningless. We need to set aside those for the kingdom of God. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. When I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness where I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try and find common ground with everybody doing everything I can to save someone. One of the things says, I have become all things to all people. I need to become all things to all people so that people can be one for Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul wants. He wants a victory. I need to become all things to all people so that Jesus Christ will reign and move. Now, here's what happened. When Journey first started, I'm coming up on our eighth birthday. When Journey first started, I was meeting anybody and everybody. I didn't have much to do. My wife said, I'm going to go to work, and I want you to plant a church. And I'm like, sweet. So I didn't know what to do during the week. So I'm like, I'm going to meet with whoever wants to meet. Other churches, you know, I used to meet like 25 people a week, and 70% of them didn't even go to Journey. 
right? They were outside. And I wasn't trying to, hey, come to our church. It's really cool and it's really hip. I was just ministering to people in this community as the missionary that God had called me to be. And this one lady called and she goes, your name has come up three times. And I want to know, it's come up from different churches three times that you're the guy to call. And she goes, I have a daughter who's 14. She's this beautiful little blonde girl. And um, she's struggling right now. She just got kicked out of Cam High. She's coming out of rehab. And nobody knows what to do in the church community. And so they keep pointing me to you. And I'm like, my church isn't even really a church. But I'll talk to her. And she's like, oh, praise God. Thank you. Can we meet at Coffee Bean? And she's like, tonight at 5? And I'm like, well, can we do tomorrow? And she's like, yeah, she's fine. She's suspended from school so we can meet. And she goes, okay, we'll meet at 9 o'clock. Thank you so much, Pastor Jeff. Oh, by the way, um, she believes in Satan. She worships Satan. And I'm like, okay. See what that looks like. <laughs> so I show up that morning. And I get there, and there's this little, cute, blonde girl with black fingernails, freckled face, crazy garb on. I mean, it wasn't horrible, but it was more gothy kind of stuff. And I told the mom, don't tell her I'm a pastor. Just tell her I'm somebody that understands struggles. And so I get up there, and I'm like, hi, my name's Jeff. She goes, I know you're a pastor. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. I just want you to know I believe in Satan. And I said, you know what? So do I. And I started telling her about Lucifer. And I started telling her how he came in and started changing. And her eyes got wide open. And I started telling her about who it is. And she goes, and she gets excited. She goes, how do you know so much? I said, it's in my Bible. I know a lot about Satan. I know a lot about Lucifer. And I know all about his power. And that's cool that you believe him because he has power. But here's the thing. I have a, a relationship with someone that's more powerful than him. And we met for seven weeks. And I don't know if she's here today. I wish she was at church. I don't know what happened. But over the seven weeks, she stopped wearing that. She didn't become a believer. But she started listening. Right? At 14, just to listen is a miracle. Trust me, I was in junior high ministry for years. And if we got someone to say, uh, Jesus, we're like, yes! <laughs> that happened to be the answer to everything in junior high ministry. Uh, Jesus? Is that right? We need to change and set aside our preferences. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. I will do everything to spread the good news and share its blessing. I will become all things to all people if I need to. If I need to believe in Satan so that they can take a Satan worshiper into a Christ-bearing worshiper, then we will talk about Satan for three hours. If I need to go across a cultural barrier to bring someone in, or if I need to walk into a, a different place, Newberry Park, never go to Newberry, by the way. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love, I love, I know, sorry, welcome. Thanks for coming. It's good to see you again. I know that you're, I know, I know it's a dagger. A couple weeks ago it was Blythe, so, you know, it's fine. Here's what uh, Anthony Robbins is. He's a Christian man. He's been leading people. Here's a leadership principle. Here's what it says. Stay committed to your decisions. Never break your morals because you're trying to win something over. He says, stay committed to your decisions, but be flexible on your approach. 
Some of you today that have been Christians for years and you're stuck on this, this sandbar. Have you ever been to the ocean, there's a sandbar, and all of a sudden you walk up and you're like, oh, cool. Some of you are stuck on a sandbar, and it's because you become rigid in your theology. And Christ is saying, open up your heart, be flexible. Let me do something deep in your life. Let me open up and, and, and do something deep in your life. Because I don't know about you, but God has done a lot of things in my life. He's moved huge mountains. And I believe today, whatever mountain you're going through and whatever mountain I'm going through, that he can do it again. And that's what he wants us to understand. He wants to move things in your life, but you got to be flexible. A lot of us come in and we're so rigid and we're so stuck in who we are that we don't let God move in our life anymore. Jeff, I've been a Christian for 46 years. Praise Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit come in and watch God transform you. And in three or four months, he does amazing, radical things in church here right now. 47 years of faith, and this man has experienced Christ differently because he's been open to being flexible. Is that you? Do you want that? I know Paul wants that. I know I want that. But I know Jesus is yearning for that. Will you just open up your hearts to him and be flexible for the kingdom of God? Let's just pray for a moment. Lord, I love you. So grateful. I'm grateful for my mom and what she's done in my life and how flexible she's been and how much of an idiot I was. My family, Lord, I know how much they went through. I know how flexible they've been. And I know, Lord, that we need a bunch of flexibility here so that we can bring our family and our friends to faith as well. Lord, I ask for a spirit of uh, the Spirit to move and to bend us so that we can be all things to all people to win souls for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive and well, and he's risen so that you and I can have a life and a life to the fullest. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you want to have a new life, today's an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just repeat after me, enjoying the greatest thing that man could ever join the kingdom of God. That prayer says this, forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned. Come into my heart, come into my soul, and be my savior. I know that you died, I know that you rose again, so that I may have life everlasting, the Bible says. And it also says that if I open my heart to the Holy Spirit, and I ask you to say, come, Holy Spirit, over me right now that I can be anointed and baptized in that spirit so that I can walk all the days of my life with you. Father, receive me, mind, body, and soul, in your precious name. Amen.